What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of What's Your ETA? I'm your co-host, Megan Hester. And I'm your co-host, Vivian Summers. We're here to take you behind the scenes of the hair and makeup industry. Today, we actually have a hairstylist, wig, master, everything, Reza Patton. Am I saying your name properly? Perfect. So, Viv, this is Reza. I've actually... Hi, Reza. How did I meet you? Mad about you. Oh, mad about you. There was an actress that we were both doing, like I was responsible for her hair and you were doing her makeup, and at some point, we came back from lunch and we had to touch her up because we were separate. Yeah. Up until that point. It was during COVID, right? Or right before COVID? No, before COVID. Yeah, before COVID. Even a little while before, like maybe two years before. Matter about you, it was probably 2018, no? Oh my God, that's so crazy how time flies like that. Yeah, your children are growing up. I know. You had just had a baby and then you had another baby. Yeah. That's right, I was pregnant. I was pregnant with Mars on on this one. Yeah. So does that time out? 2018, 2019 baby? He was the week before COVID. The world shut down. So he was literally the week before the world shut down. Ah, so we met 2019. Yeah, 2019. It's crazy. Yeah. And then you helped me with that season of Fox Sports after that. Yes, that's what it was. So Fox Sports, you you like pull out all of these stops with Fox Sports. What do they do? They do kind of like sketch comedy in between everything, right? Yeah, it started, um, so they, their Sunday pregame show, they added a comedy feature. It started off with guest stars. I think Jimmy Kimmel did it for a little while. And I became involved because Frank Caliendo then replaced Jimmy and Frank was working at Mad TV and my boss at Mad TV somehow. Oh, so you were at Mad TV. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's awesome. how I met Frank. That's how I ended up at Fox Sports. Okay. Um, I, I think that he, you know, sort of had originally had, was kind of booking whoever the hairstylist was. And then for a long time, somebody else did it. You know, I was, I had a baby then too. So it was harder for me to just run over there and do it. Um, but then a couple of years went by and I think it was like 2006 or seven, I did a promo for Frank Caliendo's sketch show and he was looking for a new hairstylist to handle his wig. So I then started doing Fox Sports and then when Frank left and Rob came, I continued to do it. And I'm still doing some stuff with Peasy who, I mean, this is how long I did that. He was a PA that was, you know, became like the highest ranking PA okay. who became the producer director when oh, so his boss, who was the producer director, yeah, became, yeah. So when you were there, the director, I know him when he was a PA. Oh my God. Isn't that funny? See everyone be nice to those PAs. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> he replaced a guy named Bill Richards who is now the head of Fox Sports. Imagine if you were not nice to that PA. Like, how many stories do you guys hear of yeah. like, when PAs are, like, treated totally. like crap all the time? Oh, man. I know. You know, they're trying to unionize, which I'm really stoked about. I think they should. That's another reason why I was talking to Viv, and I really wanted to have you on the show, because you know what's going on with the strike. You know what's, like, more than I do, because I ha- am so close. Maybe. I mean, I definitely have an understanding of bargaining with the AMPTP for sure. And I I have a really good handle on contracts because I don't know, I always blame my parents because I was an only child for 10 years. And then I was suddenly like my parents get divorced. They have my sister, they get divorced. My father gets remarried, has three more children. And suddenly I became the oldest sister. 
So it's just a whole combination of pressure. I have five siblings. Oh, you're like us. We're we're one of five too. Me and my sister. Not not you. My sisters. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So I became like kind of a crazy perfectionist. Okay. So I get that. Were you the youngest? No, the oldest. Yeah, by ten years. 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. So mainly, like, what was the ratio of brothers to sisters? Uh, there's three girls and two boys. Are you the only one that got into this business? My sister, Dee, Dee who is 10 years younger than me, actually moved out to L.A. July after she graduated high school. Okay. And she ended up working, doing, like, commercial production. Um, I, You know, it used to be there was, like, the Playboy Channel had these videos. I remember one time she had, like, a hundred rabbits that were going to somehow little baby bunnies that were going to enter a sex scene. She was doing props. She's an amazing artist. (laughs) So, you know, she definitely, it was something I wanted to do. And once she kind of was dipping her toes in it, she encouraged me. I also, my best guy friend who I grew up with came to LA, not right after we graduated. But you're from Jersey. Like give us a bit of history. I went to high school in New Jersey. Okay. So you're from Um, I was born in New York city. My parents worked in New York. We, um, we lived for a couple of years on Long Island on a boat, which I named my daughter after. The boat was named Aria. Aria is such a beautiful name, too. Yeah, it was a really cool boat, too. And my parents had a house in Connecticut that they bought when I was 18 months old. And it was, you know, now that's like a really kind of sought after area. A lot of people do actually make that commute. Then only us, because we didn't have any money, did my parents ever make that commute, right? It's, it was the same with us with Westchester. Like everyone's moving to Westchester instead of New York City. And it's like so funny because like we, people would look at us the same, like you live in Westchester? And it'd be like, it's it's 40 <laughs> what minutes. Is, so guys. is Westchester like <laughs> an upmarket area now that everybody wants to move to? Oh yeah, but um, Westchester is a reasonable commute. New Fairfield, Connecticut is not a reasonable commute. How far is that? Yeah, like an hour and 35 minutes or something. Because there's different lines, like Hudson Line, the Harlem Line and all right. that stuff. So you and basically so like- followed your sister out here, Didi? I did, my little sister. Because I was going to say, how did you get into the industry? Because everybody's story is so different, so unique and interesting. Uh, that, that's a fun story. So my so first of all, in New Fairfield, Connecticut, let's start at the beginning. Yep. There was a theater, um, like Summerstock Theater, that was sort of renowned, I want to say. I You know, maybe I'm prejudiced. But my mom, even though we really didn't have any money, my mom loved the theater. At one point, she dropped out of college, moved to London, and ran around Europe for a couple years to try to be an actress. Of course, they wouldn't let her stay in the UK, and she was very mad at them. But she, we would always scrape up money to do these season tickets at this playhouse, and I was obsessed with how these people physically changed once they put a wig on, right? Because okay. so much stock theater, they don't have huge, like all the stuff that Megan does, they don't have. Well, we all get a bug from somewhere. Vivian does the same kind of stuff, um, but we all get that bug like from somewhere. So like right. you got the bug. And I feel like everybody that I ask knows when that bug started. Howard Berger knows when that bug happened for him. Um, Louis Zakarian knew when that bug happened for him. It was what that toy that he used to like. Yeah. So for you, you've gone to the Summerstock Theatre and you've seen they've transformed with their hair. So that's grabbed you and you've gone, how old were you then? Oh, gosh, seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I told my parents that I was going to be a barber when I was four. Yeah, I read that on IMDb. <laughs> that's so cute. Yeah. 
That's... And my parents thought, no, she's no, not. you're not. <laughs> <laughs> way, yeah. way, way plus beyond. But anyway, so my, my best guy friend that I was growing up with um, also came to LA before my sister. He was like a big brother to her. They're still very, very close. When I moved my sister here, I got her an apartment like four places down from him. And um, he was doing commercials, props. Okay. Um, he's also super creative. He came out here originally because he wanted to be an actor and he found himself bartending and doing commercials by day. And he kept saying, oh, you life. should do this. You should do this. <laughs> right. But really when I came here, so I didn't come. So, so I, in New York, I'm skiing Hunter mountain, right? Because I would get a summer place down the shore in the Jersey shore in spring Lake. And I would get a ski house for the winter. And I was meeting all these incredible people from all over and I hooked up with this girl who was doing like video, like a more like industrial video, but she had a lot of connections. So she was a producer. She was great. Um, her name was Adrian and she just, I, I cut her hair once and she thought, oh my gosh, this is the best haircut. It was like sort of, we're sitting in a ski lodge and she's like, wait, you do hair? Would you cut my hair? I was like, yeah, come back to the house. And then she became sort of, you know, my, my Mentor? agent. So she kept oh, getting me. I mean, oh, yeah, like you're an agent, wow. agent, but she hooked me up with all these people. So like cool. this is the greatest hairdresser. And she knew that I had always wanted to do film and television, but in the nineties, New York was very difficult. So anyway, I started doing commercials and industrial video and infomercials, all those types of things. No fashion? I did some fashion. Yeah, 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 yeah. I worked for John Delaria, and I mostly was doing, um, representing him at trade shows, right? Okay. Like hair shows. But in order to do that, I sort of had the resume where I had to follow him around to do exactly. So I started doing runway and print. That's really, that was the first thing I did before Adrian and the commercials. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I worked a little bit in his salon just enough so we could say when I was on platform that I worked there because nobody really cares. Even though I was book solid at a nice salon in New Jersey, people, you know, when you go to Chicago, they want you to be working at John Delary in Soho. So, and I'm not a liar. So I would go in there on Sundays just so I could say that I worked there. Say that you worked at John Lazario's on Sundays. I worked there. That's so cool. That's my chair. I would do color. And so he was he was more of a hair cutter. He developed this technique technique for hair cutting called Pyrometrics. Oh, and then his son and I would do yeah. His son and I would do the hair color to go with whatever haircut he was gonna do when he did very specialized beauty shows. So okay. I would do like the international beauty show, John didn't, he didn't want to do those kind of grooming platform days, but he would do things like intercoffure, which is more of a bougie cocktail party bougie with bougie hairdressers. Hair. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was a big mix anyway. So I came to California in 1998 and did I really have a plan? No, I was like, you know, Madonna, I had $3,000 in my bank account. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, like thinking back, I'm like, how did I have the courage to do that? I would never move right now with even triple that, right? It's pure excitement and adrenaline be and being young. And from like coming yeah. out of New York, I feel like you have that mindset like, hey, I did it here. Let me go do it there. You know what I mean? I, I definitely did have that. But I also think that there's sometimes, because I do hear this a lot, there's, a, there's a also an underlying knowing there's kind of a belief and sometimes that goes wrong, but it's when it's done without fear, there's more chance of it happening. 
and evolving. And I think the fact that you did do that, it was really just about letting that sort of roll out and just being open to anything and everything. You were there for the adventure. And that's that's what I would say. I didn't move here thinking, okay, I'm going to get into the union tomorrow and I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to get rich. You had zero expectation. Yeah, I, I literally just wanted to be part of the process. I mean, I think I'm still like that. Um, I try to choose jobs that will fulfill me and hope the money will follow. But I, you know, I, I mean, the first movie that I took here and so that's, so getting back to that, you know, we're talking about negotiations, but our current business representative of local 706, I was teaching a haircutting class in Westwood and I went into a store called Oz, which for someone who's not in California is like Spencer's. (laughs) It has a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, maybe Sam's the sex toys. But they had Beanie Babies, and I was looking for a Beanie Baby that I had made my niece a collection. I was looking for this one missing Beanie Baby from the collection. I met Karen Westerfield, who was at that time working at Star Trek. Oh, wow. Okay, she's she's our union rep right now, right? Right. You know, she sort of traded me a Beanie Baby and then said, I know this guy. He's doing this movie this summer, self-financed. It's no pay, but it's a really great connection. If you cut my hair and you do a good job, I will sort of intimate that we know each other and recommend you. So she did. And I did that movie and it was great. It was a great experience. Um, Jonathan West was the director. He was the director of photography on Deep Space Nine, the Star Trek series. But he, you know, he's a very successful, super well-liked, awesome guy. Like eventually he did Buffy. He had a great team. I mean, the entire staff of that film besides myself and makeup were his crew grip electric and camera from deep space nine who loved their boss and wanted to help him make this movie over the summer um the equipment you know i'm sure they got all of the equipment for basically free it still cost him money had to pay for locations etc but we did use some of the locations we used were obviously his friends houses like his a camera operator chris crossgrove had this beautiful house somewhere off of the 14 now i don't exactly remember where but it was like a monster of a house, and we did a bunch of stuff there. And his girlfriend, who was also the star, had a nice house in Encino. Anyway, so it was, you know, it was really pulled together on a dime. Um, in one of the scenes, she's wearing a suit that I used to teach haircutting classes in because <laughs> um, we happen to be the same size. Yeah. Um, during that movie, I actually made people breakfast while the actors would be in makeup. You got money for that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, she didn't know how to cook, she didn't have a car to shop. I did crafty slash hair. Um, but yeah, he was always super supportive. It, you know, it was like anything I could do. You were such an asset to us. So you still, you worked with him throughout your career? I really didn't because when he was really in the height of his career, I was still trying to get in the union. Okay. Um, but we would see each other here and there and it was always a pleasure. It was always, you know, just a fond bumping into it. So it was the people that you met potentially on that set that took you to different jobs? The first AD on that show had been like a big producer who had, had you know, broke up as they do, um, which is currently what's, you know, some of the things that are happening in negotiations that are impacting us and making them take longer is that they have these sort of big heads of production and then those titles sort of disappear or they change hands to a new person 
And then that person has to find a new career. And this guy used to be an AD. So when he stopped producing, and I, I don't remember who he was working with, but I know he did. Um, what was the bar movie with Tom Cruise? Like that was. Cocktail. In- yeah. So he the, he was like one of the producers, executive producers. I forget at this point. But anyway, you know, like you would think that he's sort of here and he's never going to drop. But then he's first ADing this no money movie in the summer. But the next movie he first AD'd was a low-budget film, so I had a paycheck, and it was right when the $3,000 was running out. And those people brought me on their next movie, and then during the first movie, I, I, there was a day that I needed like extra help because we had too many people for me to do by myself. And Jonathan called people that were working on Deep Space Nine to come help me. And this is your very first job. Yeah, but I would say it was like it really spiraled off of that. Um, so those people, like the fourth movie I did was from that amazing hairstylist who was Patty Miller. She recommended me, somebody called her up for this movie that was not, you know, the hundred dollar a day movie anymore. That was sort of like what we would call a tier two or tier three movie. Oh, that's not too bad. <laughs> no, it was fine. I would do it right now for sure. Do you want to tell the viewer? Cause like we have to remember people listening don't know what these things mean. So what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Tier three. We have something called the basic agreement, which covers budgets that are over $15 million. But then we also realize there are filmmakers out there that don't have $15 million. Like passion projects. <laughs> right. So we want them to be able to make a film or a project. It doesn't even have to be a, a feature film, right? Because we still, in the same way, we want them to be able to make any kind of filming project using their lower budget because sometimes a first-time writer or director does not get, you know, $50 million to go have an experiment. And we still want the crew to at least get their health care. Oh, that's what it's... A, so that is Yeah, the so we have, um, in the basic agreement, we have some lower budget programs. And then also outside of the basic agreement, we have theatrical agreements that are also lower in cost and they don't contribute to our pension. So they're not going to help us retire quicker. I didn't know that. So we tier, tier one, What which tiers don't contribute? All the tiers that don't contribute to our pension. Oh my God, I never knew that. Yeah, but they contribute to our health care. So they're a great way for someone who's had a slow period. And, you know, anyway, I don't want to get into too much of health care. But, you know, we have a certain period we have to qualify. And if you don't qualify, picking up a couple weeks on one of those tiered films, even though it won't make you a million dollars, keeps your health care going. Because ours is based on hours work. Because I'm I'm non-union and I do hear that when some union... They're always chasing their, their hours. Well, they'll jump on yeah. maybe a non-union job that I'll be on to help with their or a tier one or a tier two yeah, yeah, yeah. For them so to the get... tiers will help you with your health care for sure. Yeah, so that's great. That's a really great incentive as well. There's a lot of criticism and a lot of misunderstanding about those. In what way? I didn't know any of this, what she's saying right now. So I would tell you, it's, you know, if you're trying to do this podcast, for example, and you have these people giving you time. So if you get to the next level of that and you want to give them a little bit of money, it's nice to give them a little bit of money, but also give them some money towards their health care, which is basically what those tiered, pro- tiered projects allow. Oh. When I moved to L.A., they didn't have those tiered theatrical agreements. So, okay. for instance, once I got to that fourth movie, I did a lot at that level. Like one of the most amazing experiences of my life 
was going to Cambodia for a film. Oh, my God. Um, in 2001. Yeah, it was amazing. Matt Dillon wrote and directed a film. He had this incredible cast, Natasha McElhone, Stellan Skarsgård, Gerard Depardieu, James Caan, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, I'm in Cambodia before Angelina Jolie is like, no, nobody even knows where Cambodia is. In fact, the makeup <laughs> artist department head kept saying we were going to Vietnam, which we did shoot in Vietnam. What year was that? 2001. So that film now today would be like a tier three film. And they could have actually made the contribution that would keep us insured. For that period, would have definitely gotten me a qualifying six months of health insurance had that been a tier three film. So, you know, there's some idea like, oh, they should just pay us more money. But no, I think it's smart that they do that with the tiers because I didn't realize that's why it was done that way. Oh, good. That's good. No, the way you just broke it down, I never understood it. I was like, oh, okay. So you really honestly just broke it down like in a just proper think way. About, but your own budget, right? Like, you know, if I have, if I'm rolling in money, I might get takeout. When I'm not rolling in money, I'm like meal planning and yeah, <laughs> thinking, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to buy that because I won't cook it. And I don't want to waste $10. So, you know, those those movies don't want to waste $10. They, they have a very limited budget and they're trying to make the most with that budget. And in order to keep them union and make those contributions to health care, they they have to pay this lower wage. But it's just, it's just like your house budget. You so know? that makes me think, Razor, like – these changes, did they come in uh, with more further since we had streaming? No. No, it, we, we just went over contracts and they'd signed a new agreement. And our, that agreement's for two years, right? Three. Three years, three years. So we're just a year and change away. A yeah. year away from a new contract. So it's not kind of prompted by this, you know, when streaming came in, I kind of noticed that that's, we got a, lo a lot more lower budget no, projects it's, out. it's prompted by unionism. The idea is to create a situation where something has the ability to be union over non-union. It's simply that. And unfortunately, I, I think that people have, I, I want to say, confused expectations of what a union actually is and does for them. That is some. That is a right word. Confusion of expectations is the proper thing yeah. to say. And that's where I feel like I've learned a lot through even just this podcast. Because we spoke with Howard, we spoke with like Louis, Chris Evans that give have been giving me the information about you know, this is at the stage of life that you're at, Vivian. You don't really need to be chasing this right now. I've managed to do quite well in non-union, in, in commercials, in corporate, in fashion and music videos and whatever, and, yes, lower-budget movies. But um, like you were saying before, Razor, like I choose a job according to the creativity, not so much what the budget is. If yeah. I'm excited by something and I'm excited to see that, that work come back in print or you know vision wise then I'll, I'll engage in that but to me I had this idea that by getting into the union I was going to make more money and I was going to have my medical and that's the problem <laughs> you're not going to make more money she was stuck on this whole idea and I kept telling her and then finally Howard spoke to her on the podcast was it Howard or Louis said it Howard said it Howard Both. was like he was like listen he's like you're at the age no I wouldn't even go for it like this is just silly yeah it's it's pointless at this stage well so and i wouldn't say 
I wouldn't say don't go for it. I would say don't feel like you're chasing something. You know, you're chasing the mouse that got away. Don't do that and live your best life. Yeah. I was chasing the mouse. Chasing it like a lunatic. And I kept telling her, I said, I don't think you need to. You're so successful without it. Like, honestly. I never had a union in Australia. We don't have the union in Australia. They're trying to establish the union in Australia. Um, So it was a total new reality for me. They, people misunderstand. They think the union gets you work. People, I want I want you guys right. to understand that the union does not provide work for you. You still have to look for your own work. You still have to have an exceptional CV, resume. Like you still have to have criteria. You have to have knowledge. You have to, if you're doing hair, you have to have your certificate from the state. You know, if you're in the East Coast, it's whatever state you're in and the hours, West Coast, different hours, different, you know, for makeup, you it's different, you know, but no, the union does not provide work. No, they provide conditions. They they negotiate basic conditions. And those conditions are just the least that you can be paid. Yeah. So you can always negotiate better conditions. You know, people talk about, oh, I don't want to come back to work in 10 hours. You know, you can negotiate better conditions. I mean, on that, that movie in Cambodia. Those conditions to me are, are really valuable. For instance, like a non-union film, you don't get paid from the time that you park your car and get the shuttle to the trailer. You get paid from the time that is your considered call time. And as soon as they call wrap on set, that's when your time is clocked out. And you might spend another hour cleaning up your station, getting everything ready for the next day, breaking it down, and you're not getting paid for it. You're taking all the actors' makeups off. You're making sure everything's right. Then you get the little shuttle bus back to your car. It can be an hour and a half later. You don't get paid. So those things for me are important that the union provides. I I definitely agree with you. Yeah. So that's the part where I'm saying I agree with Howard, but I also, you know, if you have an opportunity that lands in your lap. Yeah, no, absolutely. If it lands in your lap, but she was, she was like literally like in her mind, like I have to do this. And I was like, you don't have to do this. If it happens, it happens, but you don't have to do this. You know what I mean? Like you're, I agree. I agree. Because for us, things like, you know, having a secondary health care after we have 20 years in this business so that when we retire, we have that help with our Medicare and whatever, you know, the plan B we choose. Um, th- these are all things that help us. Our retirement, which is meant to be in addition to what we've saved. But you have your gold card? No, no. 20, I'm like 21 years, I think. When do you get gold card? I mean, I, I have to tell you, 30 years. Oh, it's 30. If okay. I got my gold card, I would still pay somebody else's dues, assuming I was working. And yeah. I, that's the only reason that I would have to pay dues. But yeah, I would just be helping somebody that was, you know, having a rough go of it. Oh, wow. I'm like oh. happy to pay my dues, you know. What have you been up to um, during the strike? Because obviously we're we're in a really weird space. Like we started this podcast, like Viv worked non-union, but I like was like going stir crazy. And I was like, I've always wanted to podcast interviewing my peers or even uh, people that are I love. And I'm so, you know, like I've always wanted to hear their stories like so that's where this came from. But I'm wondering, like, what? how are you surviving? Are you, like, what? what, is, what is your... So the last writer's strike... In 2008. I was, like, a single mom. Yeah. I had just bought a house. I bought a house with my sister, and then my sister decided October of 2007 she couldn't afford the house, so she just walked away. Oh, my God. And so my mortgage doubled, and <gasps> then I... My... I, you know, I don't want to say I was totally unemployed because there was not a... It wasn't a double strike, so... 
there were things that shot. I got That's some- what people don't understand. This is a double strike. It's not a like just yeah, one it's strike. Worse. It's two different it's things strike in. Anyway, I was very prepared for this. Um, so I'd been saving. I thought they would go on strike in 2020. So that's when I started being super cautious Google and, and living very below my means and saving money. And then it got helped me get through COVID. And by the time we were in this situation, I mean, I'm happy. I was a little bit luckier than some that when the employer started making all kinds of upper management changes and nothing was getting greenlit, I still managed to... Thank you, Karen Myers and PGLA, who both hired me from January to May. So I ended up getting enough work that I was easily able to pay my bills. The second job, I was there full time. So I prepaid things like my auto insurance. Um, And, you know, I saved my tax refunds from last year and this year. Anyway, I left myself in a really good situation financially. And I've used the time to work on my house a little bit. Oh, that's Um, great. Okay. So that has been really good. I got new floors. It's like the kind of thing I, I, I just kept not doing these things. That's also a subject that we, we always discuss about how, when we are working, we're never home. And so like you literally, our, our house has become like a stop in place, like to drop stuff and leave, drop stuff and leave. So like to be able to do that, actually, that's great that you're able to do that right now, because once work starts to pick up, it's a done deal. And we've been hearing that a lot, people actually working on their homes. They're either going on the holiday that they haven't had for 10 years, they're going for a vacation, or they're working on their home and garden. And the thing that I I think is really important, what you were just talking about, Razor, in terms of being prepared in advance, a lot of, I think, makeup artists starting out do not realize that they might get three or four years in and they're still not getting ahead because they're not budgeting for when those moments are that they don't work. Now, the average non-union makeup artist is lucky at the beginning of their career to get a couple of days a week work and they start building on that unless they jump on a show. I'd say a couple days a month, honestly. Yeah, Yeah. And, and, and having that second job and then how do you budget that? Because if you're trying to live in L.A., you're paying enormous rent, you've got, you've got, you know, the expenses here are so high, which I've realized since I've moved here. And, you know, a lot of them are like, well, I'm artists and they're trying to build their kit. They're trying to add, you know, on kits these days. They think when they come out of school that they've got to have the most perfect kit. We've got to have the latest products. And so I think just what you were saying before is so important. Even like the thing that I listened to what you were saying is, you know, I'll budget my meals. I'll, I won't go yeah. out and spend extra money. I will have a $10 meal that I will cook at home. Those yeah. things are really key to a young artist surviving in this industry. Yeah. No, I, I think, I, you know, I always call it, um, I do this thing when I finish a show or a film, I do a zombie apocalypse shopping. So, I, you know, I, I don't like to have too many things, but I have this idea, and that was the same way with diapers when I had my daughter, that I, things like, dishwashing detergent and laundry detergent and toilet paper and paper towels are necessities. They kill you at the grocery store when you add them on top of food. So I always do this giant target run where you get five laundry detergents, two big things of toilet paper. I, by the way, I was fine during COVID. Um, two big <laughs> things of paper towels. And you have all of that dealt with. So now until you get your next job, you just have to, you know, keep, Survive a little head, bit. keep the lights on, but, but it's just food as far as those extra expenditures. 
That is such a cool idea. You should send us your zombie apocalypse list. You should. Send I'm going to do that. I remember years ago, um, my my department head in TV. She said that to me. She's 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 an Italian mum with four kids, and um and she was always working, but she was like, "No, Vivian, you need to go and buy in bulk." Do you understand what that is? You need to buy in bulk, Vivian. I was like, "Okay, I need to buy in bulk." And she, you know what? I, the times that I have done it, I think you save a lot of money and you save oh, a lot God, of stress. Yes. Listen, I bought a thing of baking soda yesterday at the corner store. I think it was $5. It probably was $5 or $8. I think it was, <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, I was like, wait, what? I yeah, no, everything's it. so inflated. Um, so I, I don't normally do that. That was sort of a, I was in a weird situation because someone's coming to fix something at my house and I had very limited parking. So I didn't want to take my car and I walked down there because this water got on this rug, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think people do that really regularly. But I know it, this is so important because you've done, you've worked on such huge films and you've had such an incredible career. You do have such an ongoing, incredible career that it is so important to your survival ongoing for these other artists listening to this show that, you know what, just don't get cozy because you're on some really good gig at the moment and you are going to that corner store and you are spending that extra 20 bucks. Be smart about it. You're going to last longer and you're going to last longer in this career. So it's really, I've never actually heard that in any of the interviews we've done and it's such great advice. But moving on, I just want to, I would love to ask you because we've heard about how your career started, who would you say was like uh, uh, some of the the other interviewees have said that they had mentors more in fashion where it's like, you know, um, James Vincent was saying, uh, you know, who his mentors were. Would you say that you had a mentor? I wish they're definitely not one person. Um, You know, obviously John Zalaria was a huge inspiration for me um, as was really anyone from that time that was doing platform work, right? You know, Tony and Guy were doing these things that, you know, whoever was on platform for them knocked my socks off, Paul Mitchell. Um, so I I saw people doing things that I wasn't doing when I was in a salon, that I wasn't doing on a runway, unless John was saying, do this. And I was like, are you sure? And then I was like, wow. Um, so definitely earlier, it was salon people. And then when I got to LA, I... I had a couple mentors for different reasons. Um, Patty Miller, for sure, who has an incredible resume and department-headed things like Planet of the Apes, just to give you oh, wow. an example. Um, but, you know, she was integral as part of the, you know, the kind of top three people on The Grinch. Um, so she's an incredibly talented, wonderful person um, who taught me so, 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 so much as I was coming up. Um, my boss at Mad TV, Matthew Caston, who, by the way, I met at a union meeting. Um, oh, wow. Someone that I had worked with in the non-union world got into the local before me. I came to get sworn in when I got in, and he introduced me to Matthew Caston, who was like such such an influence in my career. He was the perfect. I'm so conscientious and careful, and want to do everything perfect that the the downside of that is sometimes you don't take enough risk. And he taught me to take calculated risk. You know, I remember I was with him and it was Mad TV for sure that taught me how to apply lace wigs with diff- using different adhesives on different materials. 
Um, and the first time Jen Aspinall, who was the department head makeup there. And is, was this to get time in to see how quick it was, how quick it dried, uh, how quick he, it, is that why he no, had no, to do it's that? Not that? He made me do that. It was that I, he gave me the experience being in that room with that amazing group of people. In other words, the artists that come through Mad TV are some of the best of the best. Yeah. Um, but he would push me to try things, you know, uh, anyway, Jen Aspinall one time did this forehead, this big foam rubber forehead for a character. I don't remember what the character was, but it was so amazing. And it was, you know, this beautiful paint job. She's just such a beautiful artist. And I was like, oh my God, how are you going to put the lace on that forehead and not ruin that paint job? Because I just didn't understand. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I can't. And he's like, to, he used to call me Gorby because of Raisa Gorbachev, Raisa Gorbachev. Um, so we'd say, Gorby, don't worry, I'll be right next to you. And, you know, he would push me to do things like that. So he would, he always had, it was like, he was just so perfect for me because he would give me things that I was naturally really, really good at to do. And then he would throw me a curveball and just say, now you're going to do this. And it would be like, oh my God, how am I going to put that cage in that wig? And that wig is awful. And you want me to attach this? human hair lace front wig to this, I mean, a piece to this synthetic wig, and it's going to look like that. And, you know, he, he was always available if he had a question. So would he lead, let, sort of give you that um, lead and then leave you to it? Oh, definitely. And the other beautiful thing about that room was it was, I'm going to call it ego-free. So if I was doing something and I just wasn't happy with it, whatever it was, you know, sometimes you're, you know, we had so many wigs. You never saw so many wigs in your life. We get in our heads about our own work. Like I I know I have to step back to look at it a couple of times so that I can change my mind. Like, because you start to beat yourself up. Gain a new perspective, right? Yeah. So we would, if we were frustrated with something, if it wasn't working for us, we were free to say, hey, Megan, can you play with this? Or, ah, I don't know if I'm getting the color right. Are the roots too dark? Are they too light? Or should I make the ends darker? You want to play with it for a little while. And and then you play with it for a while and you get bored and you send it oh, back to so there to was me. like no ego. It was like none. Zero ego. Were they live TV like SNL? Or are you guys actually filmed everything? So we did both. Um, okay. We had live shows that were amazing. So yeah. also it was a great experience. Those live shows, um, it, you know, because they had changes. So runway, even if it's live and even if you're rushing, and even if people are changing their clothes, we didn't do a lot of hair changes, but yeah. mad TV, you're doing full character changes. It's like SNL. Yes. And, and live. Oh, and amazing, amazing energy. Those live shows. And yeah. I love the cast and genius came, you know, that's how I met Jordan and Keegan from Key and Peele. Um, Ike Barinholtz, Frank Caliendo, and a myriad. You work with them a lot, right? I mean, I have in the past. I currently, you know, Jordan's not really acting and Keegan doesn't need a lot of hairstyling. No. (laughs) But, um, but I, you know, I have a relationship with those people that was built on that environment. You know, that's just, it's like you went to college together. You know, there's just this connection. There's a bond. Family. Oh, the things I learned on that show. I mean, you know, Scott Wheeler was to the right of me. The way our stations were set up were like two backwards L's, right? And in the middle were Scott, 
And me. That's crazy. Scott Wheeler is great. Uh, is, he's such an amazing, amazing artist. Yes. And the first time that I ever saw him do a full airbrush makeup, like oh. never pick up a brush, but beauty makeup, eyeliner. Yeah, the whole th- He's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He can make me look like I'm 30 years old with an airbrush. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a true story. Just he's like, so where talented. do we call him? How do we call him? But, but I was like, wait, I need that. I Can I do that? And, you know, over the years, you know, the first time I started hauling my airbrush around, nobody really had an airbrush in, in yeah. the hair department. And I was always teaching people how to use it. Now they have a myriad of airbrushes. When Temp 2 came out with that little gun, it seemed to be that everybody had one. But I still have from my first airbrush that he picked The Pache? Pache uh, Yeah. You do? That's, that's, <laughs> yes. And it's perfect for hairstylists. Pache And it, the bottom feeder is amazing. Yeah. You can do a whole head of whatever you're doing without having to constantly fill. You're rarely spilling. Can you explain this to me a little bit better as well? Yeah. No one understands when you're saying airbrush the hair. Explain yeah. what do you do with the hair yeah. and airbrush. Oh, yeah. I can't forgetting these viewers have no idea. Like, we go from the simple things, which you can do with the temp too, if you can imagine to get a pod that has the right color, um, of just filling in someone's roots. You're working with an actor, and they get their touch-ups every three or four weeks, but now they have gray roots. You can fill them in. The magic of TV. But let's go bigger. (laughs) I mean, you want to go bigger. You can do a whole head of, you know, make someone who's brunette look blonde. You can take the do highlights. You you can do low lights. A hundred percent. You can just adding roots to a blonde, lesser, you know, less expensive wig, like hard front, et cetera, will make it look so realistic. It's, it's really amazing. And then same thing, you can add lighter. It's one of the opportunities you have to do lighter. So if you have a wig that's a little bit too dark, you know, when you're doing episodic television, they always say, oh, we're not going to double him. We're not going to double him. And all of a sudden. Yep, they always double them. 9 p.m., they're like, oh, can you double this person? It's like, yeah, as long as I have a wig, I can make it any color. Yeah, our mustaches, because I'll use the same spray that you do with spray and color in the mustaches and stuff, our beards. I always use, because I'm, I'm literally 100% gray, so I always use the L'Oreal a root spray. I use that well, on me all the too. time. That's, that's, that's kind of like my go-to, but this sounds way better. But- Oh, it's way oh, better. It is way better. You know why the L'Oreal? Do you ever see that picture of Giuliani where the it's like melted exactly. down? Exactly. Yes. That's L'Oreal. Yes. <laughs> oh <laughs> my right. god. That's L'Oreal. So yeah. temp two. Why is temp two so great? It's it. Does well, temp not, two a real color or real color? Or, you know any all of it. These are yeah. made. It's alcohol based, yeah. so it 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 won't. Um, it's not, it's not water soluble easily, so you can wash it out. But I could, you could jump in a pool after I've made your hair brown, and it would be fun. I don't even, I don't even go out in the rain when I when I've got my no, L'Oreal. No, that's what Giuliani had on. I swear to God, in yeah. that picture, I have it on the site. Yeah, no, airbrushes are amazing. They really give you a level of freedom and creativity. I'm running straight out to buy one of those. I'm gonna play with that. Reza, what's in your kit when you go, like, let's say department head, what is your go-to of stuff when you set up? That's just, and just like you, I mean, it really, the choice of product. It depends on the person and the day. That's how I am. Yeah, it's a different material. So it's like, you know. I'm not a product snob. You know, I just did a, I actually just did a job on a music video for David LaChapelle, the director. And, um, and Larry Dean was the, the hairdresser. And 
he only uses Lnet hairspray. I love Lnet hairspray. I was a little shocked at first, and since I've worked with that, I have fallen madly in love with it. Lnet's That's really good hairspray. I hate the smell. I don't like the smell either. That's why I wouldn't use it, but I think it's a good smell. So that, that, there's a good thing that I can say. Like, I... A hundred percent, I start off, there's no way that I would start a job without a bottle of Arnco Outer Space on my station, which is like my Elmet. So okay. it's a light buildable hairspray. The smell doesn't bother me. Straight up, what would be a standard great men's men's product gel? Like a great gel for a guy. Pomade, do you like crew? Like what's your favorite go-to? So now I feel silly that I can't say this. Hold on. But I like the gel that I like for men is the it's the French one. It's white. I, I can't say it either. I know which one you're talking about. We'll get a picture of it. Okay, later. we'll get a picture of it and put it up in the promo. Um but do you carry like wig pieces with you? Do you carry hair pieces with you? No, not typically, but occasionally. So but there was one time, for example, that I um, had an actress who I'd worked with on another television show. And now she gets this amazing TV show in New York. So unfortunately, I can't do it. But they're doing all of the promos out here. So I do the photograph promos. And for the character, she's going to have this very long hair. So I show up with all this hair to make this very long hair based on the writer, director, producer's requests. He sent me a couple sort of inspo pictures. And for the show, I said, you have to get individual extensions. This is like way too much. You don't want to do this every day, all these pieces. So she went, they sent her to someone in New York to get the individuals, but they didn't do a very good job. So when I went to do more press with her in LA, I I thought, oh, I'm just going to bring some of this hair just in case there's something that I don't like with these individuals. And as it turned out, thank goodness I did. She would have looked like she had a mullet because the individuals that they had done were not very good. And her, her hair, it made no sense really. It was a hard line because she had quite a bob and now she's going to have hair, you know, all the way down here. But I know that there are people that are would have been better to have been hired to do this particular thing. But all I know is when I got to the Beverly Hilton and I had that bag of hair, I was sure happy. Did you say anything to her, the actress? Like, oh, my God. What? Oh, yes. Oh, God. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? What are you doing? She's like, oh, I know. I wonder how the people on the East Coast took that when she got back. Well, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the hair department head, but it was the hair department head that sent her somewhere. And I think that he was kind of sticking with the story that, you know, it was because her hair was so short that it looked like this. But I can tell you. You can blend something out. Like there's ways of blending yes, stuff out and keeping someone's style. Yeah. And do you still have like private clientele? Like you'll do haircutting? I do. I do. I'm often when I finish a show, there are a group of people that, you know, I continue to do their hair. Um, and sometimes that fades because those, those actors go on to a new show and you're not on every new show. So they form a different relationship. You still talk to them. It's not like you get in a fight, but eventually you don't hear them from them. But I have some that stay and I, I have people that, you know, come and go. There's definitely those people have, you know, gone to Toronto, done a show for three years and then that show is over and they come back to LA and, and they're they, like, Reza, I need you for this show. Yeah. 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 Or do you just still, you know, could you still come cut my hair? Oh, that's great. Because you have had such an extensive, you know, portfolio of work. What's there in your dream still? I want to tell you, this is a great question to ask me. I want excitement. I know what I want. I love film. 
I love theater. I'm in love with this show called The Bureau. It's a French television show. <laughs> and George Clooney and Grant Haslov are doing the American version. Oh, okay. I want that job. So if, if anybody can, I, I want to also full disclosure. By the way, I, I didn't mention when I came to L.A., I was waiting tables at Genghis Cohen. I just want to make that perfectly clear. That was my little sister was a cocktail waitress there. And the owner was a, a big fan of us and said, you know, when I, I was talking about moving to L.A., he offered me this job there. And I was like, really, I would really like that because I'm not going to be good at this freelance thing. I'm kind of terrified. But at the same time, I need to keep my time open so I can make this transition. And waitress and they were like, They were a family to me. I would go do a movie for four months. My sister, my little sister would be like, are you really going to go back to Genghis? And I was like, yes. You know, I... If, if it was a funeral or a wedding for that family, I was there and I love them to this day. Oh, right. So um, that's but they so were incredibly cool. supportive of me. And there I spilt a glass of ice on Grant Hesloff when I was gushing over a short film of his that a bunch of my friends did and I went to the premiere of. So I don't know if it would be good to remind him that I spilled ice on him. For- I think it would be great to remind him. I think that's it'd be the awesome show I want. Him. And I'm sorry that I don't remember the name of it, but it is the George Clooney. You want Grant that. Hesloff, and the- you want I that. do. I I I want to read that script and die every every ten. All days. right. Well, you're speaking okay. it into happening. I just want one other question. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but what has been your favorite tra- like transformation on anyone that you've done that you've been like, holy shit, I did that? Because I saw that you were nominated how many times? Like eight times for awards? No, four four Emmys. I think four Guild Awards. Yeah, four and four. What is your favorite out of all of your stuff on IMDb? I love them all. I I love that when I could put a wig on any of the people we're talking about with sketch comedy, whether it's Nick Kroll or Jordan and Keegan or Frank Caliendo or any of the other amazing actors that that came to visit us at any of those shows, because of course we had a lot of wonderful people putting a wig on any of those people and watching them take this wig that's sitting on a block and turning it into a person is for me so fulfilling. But I, I did a silly transition for the Entourage movie, which was this idea that Adrian, who's supposed to be like the successful actor of the bunch, did a Mentos commercial in his early career. And I gave him this kind of early 90s wedge for the Mentos commercial. Okay. And uh, <laughs> is it out there? Maybe like, it was so fun. Be- yeah, like it's. I'm. Oh yeah, the Mentos commercial. Absolutely. Okay, it we'll was so it. rewarding because Adrian's hair was the bane of my existence on Entourage. The one it's of the thick, executive right? producers was. A- it, it's thick, and one of the executive producers is his manager. And it was. I was always getting hair notes, and it would be like, he looks great. He looks like a person, but. But for, you know, but if it's your manager and you're the executive producer, I was just, it was so many hair notes. It was so many hair notes on Adrian's hair. And by the time we got to the movie, which was, you know, I don't know, 10 years later or something when I first met those guys, um, I I was well trusted and I didn't really have this very long conversation about this transition. It was sort of like someone said, wait, what are you going to do for the Mentos thing? And I'm like, it's. So you, they had no time to think about what you were doing. You were just doing it. It's That's going to be so awesome. That's, key. That's how you sneak attack them. And it was awesome. Yeah, well, that's another thing. I always think don't give too many options. You don't can't. Give too, you said that to me. We, I did. Yeah, don't. Really? 
she's like, do not give them options. Just do what's in your kit. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that's, that is a save because it's, it's true. If you give them too many options, it's like, how long's a piece of string? You're out to sea. You're like, you're yeah. swimming until you're too tired to swim back. And, or you end up with a battle because yes. two like this and two like that. It, and by the way, I don't, I don't mean not like not being conscientious. I mean, really think about it, zoom out, look at the characters, give them two options and let them pick. And if they're not happy, have some backup options. Just don't present your lesser options, present your top two. Because and probably it. you're right. Yeah. Too many options can come across as lack of confidence as well. It and, does. And, and it can it kind of like, is lack of confidence. And it can start that downward spiral. And as soon as but you I, lose their confidence, which is it's that tiny little moment where you feel it and they feel oh, it. Oh, it's done. Once you lose an actor, director, any of their confidence, it's yeah. a Well, you can deal. get it back. You can get it back. But it's you'd rather not have to go there. And then, you know, it's just like stay, stay in control of it. Everybody that I've ever worked with that I totally think has just got it nailed is even if it's on the inside, those little duck legs are swimming as fast as they can. It's all cool on the outside. They've got it. Yeah, cool. and they ask a lot of questions. That's the other thing people do wrong in the beginning. I think when they do end up in those disasters is they don't ask. You know, like Jordan and Keegan, I'll give you a perfect example. When when they would say, oh, I want a, a wig, and they would sort of describe the wig, I would ask them more, who is this guy? How much does he make a year? Exactly. Who is he? Is he a dad? Is he like, because you have to understand the character. And that's what I always tell people. Who is this person? Is it fall? Is it winter? Like, well, I want to know everything so I can properly get into this person's like psyche and make it for you. So I And for those guys, you had to choose race. Jordan Keegan can play so many different races. In other words, both of them are of mixed race. I hope that's PC. But they are so genius that, you know, like Keegan could play someone from Southeast Asia and Jordan can play, you know, just a regular guy on the street. There's there's ways that he can look also Southeast Asia. I mean, so I needed to know the race of the character, which isn't always in the script. And for them, that was a very unique part about coming up with a look for them for me because because sometimes that wouldn't you know that's not a conversation people would have in a production meeting yeah most people skip that a lot of people skip all of that which i don't understand either but for for actors that are that versatile and again you know that's not a question for everybody but it was definitely a question for them. But who is that character is is really important. I love everything that you talked about, and I'm glad that we were able to get you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a compliment. We want to thank you all again for tuning in. And a very special thanks to Raisa Patton. Please be a part of this amazing community of makeup artists and hairstylists. Please give us a follow on Instagram. It's whatsyouretta.podcast. Also, you can follow me at Megan Hester, M-E-A-G-A-N-H-E-S-T-E-R, makeup, M-A-K-E-U-P, on Instagram. Make sure you follow. Viv, where can we follow you? You can find me at Viv Summers, B-I-V-S-O-M-E-R-S. And if you have an episode idea, guys, or a person that you would love to hear us interview, please reach out because we want to hear from you. Yes, we really, really do. And I just want to thank you all again for tuning in with us each week. 
We really love the atmosphere that we're creating and we can only do that with you guys. Talk to you next week.